This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 15th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The so-called sequence for success is the idea that if a young person graduates from high school, gets a job, and avoids having children before marriage, staying out of poverty is virtually assured. But how true is that idea? Cato's Michael Tanner writes in the most recent edition of Cato Unbound that this sequence for success idea must contend with some realities. We spoke last week. The sequence for success, the idea that if you graduate high school, if you get married, uh, if you delay childbearing until after marriage, and if you have a job, that these are essentially extremely predictive of your ability to have a, a decent life. So when social scientists look at this, what you know, where do the where are the battle lines drawn on that notion? Well, there's certainly a, a robust statistical relationship, at least a correlation between things like having a job, finishing school, delaying childbirth until after you're married. Uh, and staying out of poverty. In fact, the chances of you reaching the middle class are, are fairly strong uh, statistically if, if that happens. And it also a certain amount of common sense to it. Obviously, if you don't have a job or if you fin- don't finish school, you're less likely to get a good paying job. If you have a, a child and you're not married, you're going to encounter problems. Two incomes, after all, are better than one. Uh, you know, you have a, a single mothers face uh, child care problems. Employers, uh, consciously or unconsciously, are less likely to hire women with chill, single women with children because they worry about the time they'll have to take off from work and so on. So even if you can't uh, statistically prove the causation that is pushing people into poverty, there's reason to suggest that it's certainly going to make it more difficult for them to escape poverty, if nothing nothing else. And, and there is a sticking point here that I, I think just rubs people the wrong way. The, the specific idea that delaying childbirth until marriage, until you have a, a, a two-parent home, that that is a very good idea for avoiding poverty. It's certainly intuitive that that would be the case. And since I've become a parent, I could not imagine uh, having to do it alone or to imagine uh, a young woman trying to do it alone, take care of a child and maintain a full-time job and you know advance in in that job as well so why is that such why is that just the why is that such a controversial idea well first uh, we should recognize that uh, correlation is not causation we don't know there's kind of a chicken and egg problem here our uh, women who have children and they're not married poor because they've had the child uh, without being married or do they have the child without being married because they're poor are the circumstances that poor women live in more likely to cause non-marital childbearing. And, and there does seem to be something to set, be said for that. Uh, you know, we tell these women, get married before you have kids. Well, who are they supposed to marry? Uh, in many poor areas, particularly inner city areas, for example, lo- there's not a large pool of marriageable men. Uh, it's estimated that a million and a half young black men are in the criminal justice system because we have a, such a racist criminal justice system uh, in this country. Uh, when they get out, they often have criminal records that make it difficult for them to be employed. A large areas of this country lack the jobs, particularly inner cities, poor areas, lack jobs for these men to get. So the idea that there's going to be employed, uh, successful, educated men for these women to marry is in, in many cases uh, a myth. Uh, yet women are going to have sex. Uh, people, it's a natural desire, uh, both for pleasure and intimacy. 
uh, and sometimes children are going to be born uh, as a result of that sex. I think uh, instead of lecturing women on the morality of childbearing or uh, telling them that they're somehow uh, bad or promiscuous, what we really need to deal is with, with is those underlying problems, uh, criminal justice reform, uh, fixing our failed public school system and giving parents more choice, creating more jobs in, in the inner city. I think those are going to have a, a bigger outcome and bigger impact on poverty than, uh, than simply sort of blaming the victim. So what is the public sector component here? If, uh, you know, we have programs that in, in some ways subsidize either non-marital uh, childbearing, uh, we have some uh, programs that subsidize uh, not working. Uh, so to what extent are uh, government programs contributing, if not, uh, you know, strongly uh, uh encouraging these kinds of problems. Well, what's interesting here is whichever side of the success sequence divide you come down on, government is partly to blame. Uh, if you buy into the success sequence, uh, we should remember that incentives matter. And government programs discourage work, discourage marriage. Uh, if you uh, are collecting welfare benefits, you collect the full panoply uh, of welfare benefits, you are often earning more through the, through the system than you could earn from an entry-level job. The highest marginal tax rates in the world are for someone who leaves welfare and takes that initial job because they have to start paying taxes uh, right away. They start losing benefits right away. They incur the expenses of going to work. Uh, by the same token, uh, if you get married, uh, there's a marriage penalty that often attaches uh, to welfare uh, that you don't have see the same thing if you cohabit. So, uh, so we do see the problems uh, with incentives in the welfare program. And on the flip side, if you're not a, a believer in the success sequence or you think there's other factors involved, we should look at the fact that government, again, is responsible. It's our government-run criminal justice system that so penalizes young black men. Uh, it is our government-run school system that is such an incredible failure, particularly in the inner city, uh, where we spend enormous amounts of money and don't and fail to educate. And it, it's basically our government-run uh, tax and regulatory bureaucracy that makes it so hard for poor people to find jobs, that, that re regulates them out of business in many cases. So government seems to be pushing people into poverty, no matter which side of this uh, kind of bitter academic fight you come down on. To the extent some of the blame for uh, poverty in the United States can be ascribed to our criminal justice system is, is part of the explanation that poor whites, for the most part, don't face a lot of the same problems that poor uh, Latinos or poor blacks face? Well, we should recognize that poor people in general uh, face problems in the criminal justice system, uh, fines, uh, bail. Uh, there's a number of problems there. And simply the fact that poor areas of the country are always sort of policed in a heavy-handed manner. That said, uh, there is clearly uh, evidence of bias in the criminal justice systems against African Americans and Latinos at all income levels and in all areas. Uh, we, and this is at every level from arrest rates to plea bargaining to sentencing. Uh, we understand that, that African Americans are going to, going to face problems that whites don't. Uh, we have a long history of this in this country, and it continues. A lot of this seems to come down to cause and effect and trying to decide whether or not uh, certain behaviors cause uh, certain benefits or costs to accrue to the people who who make those kind those decisions. So 
where where are the battle lines drawn on that issue, which seems narrow, but it's of course it's seems like it's just the crux of this. Yeah, well, it's very important. Uh, Academically, this is a very crucial debate, and there's strong evidence on both sides of this. And it's important because if you're a doctor, you wouldn't try to treat an illness until you understood what the basic cause of that illness was. You wouldn't just treat the symptoms. And the same is true with poverty. If we want to figure out how to get people out of poverty, uh, we need to understand why people are poor. So the academic debate is very important. That said, we also have to be very careful of how this debate is utilized because the media and politicians often utilize this as as sort of a blame game, uh, who's at fault here. And and it often does uh, sort of fall into victim blaming where we say the poor deserve it, Uh, that somehow the poor, uh, being poor itself is a moral failure and therefore uh, we shouldn't help them. And that's not, uh, not very productive. How would you argue to uh, a conservative who is likely to, uh, you know, it's a trap in a way to fall into this trap of of saying these are these are moral failings. Uh, You need to make different choices. We need to, uh, I don't know, bring religion back into schools or we need to train up these women that abstinence only is the way to go and that uh, finding a marriageable man ought to be the goal. What would you what would you tell them is the 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 failure of that case? Well, I think government's done a pretty good, pretty poor job uh, of handling that. I I think that community renewal is certainly a worthwhile goal. But we also need to understand that people don't make their choices in a vacuum that we have to look at the larger societal context in which decisions are made. Should we expect the poor to do everything they can to get out of poverty? Of course. And that means we should expect people to try to find jobs. We would want people to try and finish education. Uh, We want people not to have children that they can't afford to have. Uh, And and we certainly should expect that of people. Uh, You can't deprive the poor of agency and pretend that they're chaff blown by the wind and that the decisions don't count. That's dehumanizing the poor. But you also have to understand that it's very different if you're trying to make those choices in, say, Sandtown in Baltimore or Southeast D.C. or Owsley, Kentucky, uh, rather than trying to make those in some of the more affluent communities that we have. Those choices are informed in the context of society in which people live. This is an essay, a lead essay, in the latest edition of Cato Unbound that you can find at cato-unbound.org. What do you uh, think your respondents are going to say? I know some of them say that the success sequence, just that just that term, sort of implies that you take these steps and everything's thumbs up. Well, I think we're going to see a lot of debate over the statistical analysis of this. And, and I think academics rightly focus on the cause and effect relationship. But I think, uh, I hope that we will see more debate about the underlying changes that are necessary to affect this. If we all agree that people should get jobs and finish school and delay childbirth, the question is, how do we get there doing that? Uh, I I think that that is is a much bigger question. And of course, I do uh, elaborate on this discussion much more in my book that will be out this fall, The Inclusive Economy. Michael Tanner is the lead author in this month's edition of Cato Unbound, The Sequence for Success. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 